Romans chapter 3 will be in verses 27 to 31 this morning. Uh, just remind you of our, our context. Uh, I've said we are now in the stage 2. If you broke Romans up into three pieces, you would have really stage 1 is the wrath of God and what it is and, and why it would be poured out on all of humanity. Uh, and then we got a couple of weeks ago to the end of that first stage. And I explained it to you in this manner that it is as, as if we, we stand at the Grand Canyon. And the Grand Canyon is all our sin and our failure. And, and we look up at Mount Everest and we see the difference between uh, God and His holiness and us and our sinfulness. Uh, and that we have to get there. We have to get there in our faith. If we're to receive the gospel, we have to get there. As I said in my prayer, a, a child needs to know. It's actually quite comforting for a child to know that they are a sinner. I remember asking my kids at time to time, like, son, why did you do this? Why did you say that? Why were you this way? And they look at me and they would say, I don't know. And they didn't know. They didn't know. I mean, they had been taught to share. We were smart parents. We bought identical trucks so they wouldn't fight over the truck. We put names on those trucks so you would know which one was Luke's and which one was Jordan's. We tried every manner possible to keep them from sinning against each other, and we failed at every turn. And we would sit and say, why did you do this? I, re I remember when it dawned on me one day as a parent, like, um, I know why. I don't need to ask them why. They need to know why. And so this first stage of the gospel, it's really wonderful and, and, and it's freeing. God is saying, there is a sin problem in every human being. There's a fallen state in every human being. How we long and our soul longs to be right. How, how, we, how we crave it. And how our best efforts put us down into the abyss. And so we, we got to the edge of that. And then the beautiful news of the gospel. And that's the section, second section. The beautiful news of the righteousness of God being revealed to us the righteousness of God absolute perfection of God being revealed to us that we see it that we behold it that we notice it that's in the gospel and it's this Jesus that John said I touched I, I was with him I saw him I beheld him the beautiful news that that becomes ours by faith alone we call that justification and so we are in that section then, uh, the gospel being presented to us, the answer to the problem of sin. Uh, just a reminder, John Stott defines this righteousness of God. It's a term we'll use all throughout Romans. He says it's a combination of his righteous character, his saving initiative, and his gift of a righteous standing before him. So a Christian can have a righteous standing before God. It is his just justification to the unjust. His righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. That has been given to us through faith. So we pick up on that uh, in verse 27. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This question that this text starts with is, um, it, it, it really is the apostle's way of saying, I know what you're thinking. The righteousness of God has been given 
to his people through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. It has been given. And this is the question. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I was born in Australia. Came to the U.S. in 1973. Uh, I had a, a, a green card for a long, long time. And um, I was a, a, a legal alien um, for years and years and years. Uh, in my 20s, I remember getting called for jury duty. And uh, I showed up at the court. I'm like, I'm not a citizen. And they're like, oh, well, we have you down as one. I'm like, well, I'm not. <laughs> and so uh, as far as I could tell, I paid Social Security. I paid all the other taxes. I just didn't get to do jury duty and vote. And I, and I thought, you know, in the early years, I thought that's, that's a good swap, you know. Uh, but I became naturalized when I was in seminary. I thought if I'm going to be a preacher, I'm going to be a pastor to a people, I should be a citizen of the country where I serve. And it was interesting because my older sister had gone to Australia. Some of you met her. They were doing missions work in Australia. And, and she had renounced, well, she'd never had become an American citizen. So she had an Australian passport, Australian citizenship. And, and she heard that I was going to go get naturalized. And she called and said, don't do it. Don't do it. You have no idea. She's, I travel all over the world. And if you're an Australian, you get treated so well by all these foreign countries. And I was thinking about why? Because we don't kill anybody. We got six airplanes in our Air Force. You know, we're out on this island. We, man, we, we, we have great movies that come out and lots of good music, but nobody's mad at us. And she goes, it's just so much easier. Don't become a U.S. citizen. Now, what if I was to tell you, I, I suspect most of you are Americans, what if I was to tell you that in order to be counted righteous in God's sight, you would have to give up America? In order to be counted righteous before a holy God, you would need to denounce the United States of America. Not just take the flag out of the worship. We don't have one here, right? But no, you would have to be un-American. What if I took it one step further and said, no, no, you'd actually have to become Korean in order to be made right before a holy God. You'd have to love kimchi, right? You'd have, you'd, you'd have I mean, you, you're like, Rev, come on. Right, but I want you to understand that the context, and the, the apostle here uses the word we, 
And he is bringing himself into this conversation as a Jew who received Christ and as a Jew who had to wrestle with the sense that for my whole life, I looked at myself, my ethnicity, my culture, and I said, we, we are the ones that God loves. Now, maybe that's not a big deal because there's not as much nationalism as there was maybe 50 years ago. In fact, in some circles, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to not like America. Um, whatever your deal is with that, uh, the illustration still stands. What is there about you that makes you think I'm a little bit better than someone else? And so what the apostle is saying that his, his whole life and the life really of every human being, not just a Jew, uh, a, a life of a human being is comprised of making themselves feel righteous. We make ourselves feel right and good about who we are. And we do it through various means. It might be through our education. It might be just by comparing ourselves to people that are worse than us. And we feel good about it. And so the reality is when you come to the gospel, when you come to the fact that your sins are as filthy rags, that the righteousness of God is so pure that you can't stand to look at it, when you come to that and you receive the gospel, you realize that now the playing field is even. Like I say that when we come to the table. It's even. Right? I, I, I am as righteous in God's sight as the person who five minutes ago surrendered their lives to Jesus. All of my service as a pastor, all of my tithing, my giving, my sacrificing, my being nice to people that aren't nice, all of those things don't count at all in the courtroom of God. Then you come to this question. What's going to happen with my boast? I'm going to tell you, that's one of the harder things in the gospel. I really believe it's one of the harder things. We might not say it, but I think we feel it. Like, like okay, if I receive all of this free, if it is, it is gracious, if it comes to me, what do I have to be proud of? I mentioned this to you before. My daughter, working in a very affluent school, international students, when they brought in a, a dress code, like amongst the kids as they're going over the dress code, right? There was a question from one of these wealthy families, one of these wealthy kids. And he, Miss Anna, if we have to wear these clothes, how will people know how rich we are? Right? We think that as Americans, we just don't say it. How will people know how smart I am? How will people know how wonderful I am? And so the apostle brings us here in the gospel, and it's really that first objection to the gospel. What's going to happen to the things that I boast in? So when I was naturalized, I took a test about U.S. history and government. But I wasn't told or instructed to stop being Dutch. I could be a U.S. citizen and still be Dutch. So I said I was born in Australia, but my dad's Dutch. We grew up a lot of Dutch stuff. So I was relieved because I just asked the clerk if she'd validate my parking. So I could still be Dutch. But what part of your identity would you refuse to give up in order to be saved? <laughs> what if you're an OU fan? 
And all of a sudden the gospel says, no, no, you have to be an OSU fan. <gasps> what? What would you be willing or unwilling to give up? Th- those things are, are what he's talking about, the things that we boast. And so the sermon is sentenced this morning. I've expanded it from what's in your bulletin there. Um, and it's justification by faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone, excludes all other boasting. It does so by presenting God's true character and establishing the right use of the law. So verses 27 and 28, he asks a question and answer it. What happens of our boasting? He says it's excluding. Our boasting is excluded. Um, he, he is including himself in saying my righteousness my standing with God to the extent that it it depended on me is excluded I I don't boast about it anymore and I love it that it's that he's including himself so it's not like a a poor person telling a rich person you should be more generous right it's a rich person who's been very generous telling another rich person to be Generous. He is including himself. He's like, and he says this in other other places that that whatever they would boast on, he had more. He is in fact saying, "I'm a person who has been forgiven much, and I'm encouraging you to be forgiven much. I'm a person who has been saved by grace, and I'm encouraging you to grapple with this grace." But they ask the next question: How then is it excluded? Is it excluded by a law of works? So it's interesting. It's like he's saying, Paul, was there some other stuff that we're supposed to do? Uh, if, if all my good works and all my ceremonial purity doesn't count, is there other works now that I'm supposed to do? And we have to be careful with this question in a church because uh, churches and communities, they just inadvertently, accidentally start to build up their own set of rules. And, and we start to judge others by this other set of rules are they on time for church do they show up all the time how are their kids Uh, we start to build up this other set of rules and he says no 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 not by a new set of laws but by the law of faith not by a law of works we don't ask ourselves have we done enough but by a law of faith so he says it again He's going to repeat this over and over again. He says, uh, one one is counted righteousness. This faith is a gift from God. And we don't even boast in our faith. We don't look at our faith and somehow saying, it is my faith that has saved me. No, it is the object of our faith that has saved us. It is God. And so, as a Christian, we ask ourselves, uh, is my life a life of boasting or a life of faith? Is my life a life of internal boasting? Do I secretly boast about myself to myself? Even terms like self-help and self-esteem, self-coaching, I am enough. As a Christian says, no, he is enough. External boasting. You know, we, we, have, we have found that as we grow older and we, we uh, move into communities of people, we realize how kind of annoying that is. We don't like it when we see it in someone else, and so we kind of train ourselves 
to not do it, but we sure hope someone else will, right? We sure hope someone else notices it. I sure hope when my wife is sitting around the table with other women, she says how great and wonderful her husband is. Oh, no, it's nothing, Tammy, nothing, nothing, right? We sure still hope it. All boasting is excluded. How does that happen? Well, the second thing is it's because God's character is revealed. So in verse 29, how how then is it taken away? Verse 29 says because, because we boast on who God is. Verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? No, he's not the God of the Jews only. He is the God of the Gentiles also. So I titled this sermon, Racial Regeneration. Um, and the reason I did is because that's what it looked like up until this point. Like, like you really did denounce being a Gentile. You really did. You took on the garb of a Jew. You had the ceremonies of a Jew, the, the, the diet of, of a Jew. And so it was, if, it was as if you were presented this state of uh, God will accept me if externally all of these things change. And the apostle says, no, that's not what you look at. You look at the character of God. And so he says it, it is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. God, not just the God of the Jews, but the God of everyone. And so in verse 28, we hold, we hold this. We, he says, because we earned it. Not because, we, not because of what, what we have done, but through Christ. That's why the context, again, is the most important for us. Douglas Moo says, No works, whatever their nature or their motivation, can play any part in making a sinner right with God. It is God who justifies, God who saves, God who uh, uh, makes righteous, declares righteous the unrighteous. So for us, it means our, our focus then should be on this character of God. I encourage you this year to study God. Right? So he says, what are we, when we're going to leave this at the end, we're going to say, what do we boast on? And he says, we can boast on God. And um, Christian, I, I think it's just an area that is really sorely underserved. The theology of God. The attributes of God, who He is, what He does. We might know our Father. You know, sometimes someone will say the name of a celebrity, and I don't know who that is, and then I'll say the name of a basketball player that used to be popular when I was a kid, and they won't know who that is. And I'm amazed sometimes about how much we know about people, celebrities, Elon Musk, whoever it is. We know so much about these people that have really no bearing on ourselves. I mean, you know, a bunch of us are probably going to try to watch Patrick Mahomes today. We probably can give you some of the stats of the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, John Burrow and his, his deal. I always like to see what he shows up wearing, right? We, we, we learn that stuff really without even trying. And yet the hope of a Christian is knowing God. When you face uncertainty, when you face risk, when you face doubt, what do I know about my Father? Right? When you face suffering, what do I know about my Father? 
I know this about him. I know that he loves me and he has promised to hold me by his side. I know that he has told me that, that his son has taken away my guilt. It's been atoned for. I know that I've been cleansed. I know that he's bringing all things, no matter what it looks like right now, to a glorious conclusion, so much so that in eternity we will count it a blessing that we get to praise and worship him. We rest in the character of God. And we, um, we rest in this, and it leads us to worship. Uh, lastly, I just want to look at verse 31, because um, this then is, is, is kind of the response. It's basically, then what about the law? And I often capitalize it as the law, uh, because the, the, the Jewish mind is saying, the law was written in stone, Right? You know, that's where that term comes from. When you put something on the calendar, you pencil it in, or you say it's in stone, right? Written it in stone, right? Because it's not to be added to. It was written on the front and the back. There was no room for the 11th commandment. Uh, It's written in stone. What about this, Paul? Are we saying that the law doesn't matter? Are we overthrowing the law? He goes, oh, by no means. So that by no means is an an expletive in Greek. It's like, no way. Like, heck no. Uh, No, of course not. In fact, what we're doing is we're upholding the law. All right, So, so get this. Again, when we do worship and we take a time of confession, what do I do in that time of confession? What do we do in that time of confession? We look at the law of God, don't we? What has our God required of me to believe, to be, to do? What has he required? We look at the law. We uphold the law. We give it its rightful place. God, this is the standard. We have fallen from the standard. We confess that we've fallen from the standard. And we trust that Christ, who kept the standard, not just forgives us, but gives us, through faith, his righteousness. We uphold the law. And, so, and, you, and you see it in all of his writings. Right? What does the apostle do to the churches? Does he say, it doesn't matter what you do? Does he write to the Corinthian church that has such sexual immorality going on? He says, what you're doing in your church, the pagans don't do? Does he then say, but it's okay, because we don't use the law anymore? No, absolutely not. And that's what he's saying here. The, the grace of God and the gospel of God doesn't say that the law has no place. He says, now the law... Now the law is beautiful to us. It's not a harsh schoolmaster anymore. It is a guide for us. It shows us the absolute purity and beauty of our God. It shows us the the, the chasm that Christ has reached across to rescue us, and it gives us a guide for living. How are we to live with our God and with one another? And so he says, no, no, no. the law is upheld. What does this mean for us? Well, I want to give you four things in conclusion. Jeremiah, 29, Jeremiah 9, 24, 2 Corinthians 10, and, and, and you'll see it all over the place in scriptures. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And what this does, it doesn't take all your motives away for hard work or for sacrifice. Really, not at all. This doctrine allows you to enjoy your life. It allows you to be the best businessman you can be, the best basketball player you can be, the best son and daughter you can be. Because whatever glory you receive, you give it to the Father. See, it's interesting that, that he makes a point, too, of saying that, that the faith that we have is also a gift from God. So that in everything you do, you may glorify God. It also frees us from constantly being disappointed that the things that we had hoped would give us some sense of worth and value, failing. Ecclesiastes 1, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. All the idolatry and all the things out of Christ that we boast in are fleeting. Right? They're, just, they're, just, they're just fleeting. Um, I, I watched the, the, the boys and girls play basketball on um, Friday. And I, and I see what I used to be. And I was talking to my son, Luke, and he was talking to one of his uh, co-workers. And uh, the co-worker said, hey, remember when you were a kid and your dad let you win when you played basketball and you thought you were great? And Luke said, no. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, my dad never did that. I said, what do you mean? No, my dad would just wear me out. And he would say, one day, son, you're going to just destroy me. And my son, I remember him saying this, no way, dad, no way. Third grade, it came. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but then the man asked him, he goes, when did you beat your dad? He goes, I, I don't remember. I said, well, son, that's because I strategically retired. <laughs> but you see that. In Ecclesiastes, it's not just money, it's everything, he says. It, whatever you boast in, it, it's so futile before, before it's gone, before someone does better, before there's something newer, something shinier. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you have given us reason to boast and reason to worship. As we come to this table, as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, we celebrate and we boast in your works, O oh God. It opens up whole new avenues for us for humility. Because as the apostle says, whatever to my gain, I count now as loss. And in fact, I consider all things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, Lord, we want to know you. When we fail, when shortcomings become apparent, not just to us, but those around us, Father, may we, instead of making excuses, shifting the blame or pointing fingers, Holy Spirit, will you instill in our minds the thought, how glorious the Savior would stoop to save one such as me. It is far worse than anybody else knows. And yet my Father's love for me is far deeper, far higher, far wider I could ever have guessed.
Father, we pray that as we take this sacrament that you remind and instill in us these truths and that we who boast would boast in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.